I pray that you would, and we're going to start these really soon, that you would be in a, as, be in a growth group, that you would connect yourself with God's people. We, if we struggle with names, it's because we don't spend enough time together. And, and I'm, I'm bad at names, but I know people when I'm with people. So that we would be together in God's word in Bible study. And then, and this is what our focus of today is, that, that you would be in God's word on your own. Imagine a relationship for a second with your spouse, um, and I, Ruth and I can think about this, where, where you, you hang out and you talk on Friday, you have a date night, and then you talk again next Wednesday, but you don't really communicate, you don't really spend time together besides that. Or, or imagine a, a, a week where you eat Sunday morning, have a snack on Wednesday, but that's all you eat during the week. We want to call to, some of you might say, hey, that's a great idea, especially after Christmas. But, but, my, but, but as Christians, and now apply this to our faith, we have a relationship with our God, and we want to cultivate and strengthen that relationship, not just Sunday, Sunday and growth groups, but throughout the week. And while we could meet every day, which some Christians do, that's not always very practical. And I want to encourage you and today equip you and encourage you to do this on a daily basis. So we begin our time together in the name of our God who brought us into his family, who calls us children of God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. O oh God in heaven, your word is a light to our feet and a lamp for our path. Your word is like honey to our taste, a sweet treat that we get to enjoy. Lord God, we confess to you today that we do not always treat your word with the honor that it deserves, nor do we always love it like we should. But we thank you that, God, you never give up on us and you continue to come to us. So we pray, open our ears to hear your word. Open our minds to, to listen as we contemplate how we might grow in our relationship with you through, through Bible study and prayer. We pray, sanctify us by the truth, O God. Your word is truth. <coughs> Amen. You may be seated. So, if you haven't yet, grab the, grab the handout. I, I really pray I created this so that you could take it home and stick it in your Bible as an encouragement. If you need pens, I have pens. I told you this is going to be a little bit like Bible study, so it's, who needs a pen? If you need one, it's okay. So while I'm doing this, I want you just to think for a minute. And you can raise your hand. I don't think you'll be embarrassed to do so. How many of you have ever struggled with guilt or shame when it comes to your devotion and prayer life? In, in other words, you, you know what you should do, but you're not doing it. How many of you, 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 you study the life of Jesus and you see Jesus in the temple praying and learning from God and you say, I wish I was like that? How many of you struggle to get into the Bible? You, you know you should read it, but, and, you, and you can do it, but you, you read it and you struggle because you don't know how you should. It's not guilt anymore, but it's just kind of lost and confused. Raise your hand if you've ever been lost or confused and struggle with, I don't know how to read the Bible, I don't know how to do this. 
That's one of the reasons that I want to do this with you today. I know it's a little strange and weird and a little unorthodox, but, but Sunday morning is the best time for me to talk to you about these things and encourage you in your devotional life and your prayer life with your God. Let me tell you a little story about Luther and his barber. Luther had a really good friend named Peter Beskendorf. Say it with me, Peter Beskendorf. Peter was a barber. And he was Luther's friend from about the time of the Reformation, so around 1517, actually, yeah, 1517, until, well, until they both, until either Peter died or Luther died. So they're long-time friends. Now, imagine this if you've ever gotten a You know how when you're at the barbershop or the salon, you have these talks with your, with your stylist or your barber? Imagine having deep theological conversations with, with Luther or Luther with your barber at the, at the barbershop. I'm pretty sure that's not a great place to have theological or political conversations, especially when the barber has his knife giving you a little bit of a shave. But Luther and his barber were, were really, really good friends. And in 1535, Luther wrote his dear friend Peter a letter about how to pray. It's called A Simple Way to Pray. And what's really amazing about this letter that Luther writes to his dear friend Peter is this. This is what Luther says. These are, a lot of these are printed for you on the handout. He says, Dear Master Peter, I will tell you as best I can what I do personally when I pray. May our dear Lord grant to you and to everybody to do better than I. Amen. And then that, that was the beginning. Imagine starting a book saying, you know what, I really don't know what I'm going to do doing here, but I'm going to help you. I'm going to tell you what I do. I pray to God that you would do it better than I do. That's what Luther's intro was to his dear friend Peter when it came to his devotional life. So as I stand before you today, I don't stand before you as your, I stand before you as your pastor and your brother, not as an expert. I really hope that in your devotional life, you would do better than I do. I really hope that, that in your walk with God that you would pray better than I do. That you would seek God and his word better than I do. That's my prayer for you today. As your pastor, I stand before you today and, and I care desperately and deeply about your relationship with God. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or answer me on this question, but I do want you to ask the question, where are you at? in your relationship with God. If somebody were to ask you, how are you doing with God, what would you tell them? I mean, if you were honest with them. You know how it is when somebody asks about your marriage, how are you and your wife doing? Oh, we're fine. <laughs> Who of you would ever say, you know what, we had a fight this morning and things are terrible. We don't really get along. We hardly talk. Maybe with your best friend, but not with somebody else, right? So, so take a moment and answer that question. Where are you at in your relationship with God? How would you describe it? Are you close? Are you far? Are, are you like friends who talk at Christmas and Easter and maybe a little bit in the summer? Are, are you like friends who only talk when something goes wrong and not when something goes right? Where are you at? in your relationship with God. And this is why I say I talk to you as your pastor and your brother, 
not as an expert, is because I struggle here too. As your brother, I know the things that keep us out of Bible study and devotion. I know the things that, that we wrestle with when it comes to our walk with God, whether it's Bible study, personal Bible study, or, or prayer. What is it? If you, what is it for you that you struggle with? Is it busyness? Where, where you're, you're so busy in your life that you just... If, if I were to suggest to you today that you should read your Bible for at least five minutes a day, you'd say, I don't know if I have five minutes. Is it busyness? Is it distraction, a little bit of spiritual ADD? Where you, you sit down to read your Bible and, or you sit down to pray and before too long you're thinking about lunch? Before too long you're thinking about the play date you have this afternoon? Or when we're praying with our kids... We, we go around the room and they each take a turn praying, but as soon as they're done, they're doing something else. Be, as if the rest of us weren't still praying and we weren't all praying together as a family. <laughs> Sorry, Jacob. Is it, is it guilt and shame? You know the good you should do, but you don't do it. You look at the life of Jesus, you look at the life. Luther says about his, about his day, he, he, he said, somebody asked him what Luther, what he was going to do on a given day, and he said, work, work, work from, morn, from dusk till dawn. Or the other way around, dawn till dusk. And he said, but because it's such a busy day, I'm going to first spend the first three hours in prayer. And, and when Luther said pray, he didn't mean this mindless repetition of praying. It was conscious, careful, thoughtful praying. One of the things that helped me the most, and this is where I'm just telling my story, one of the things that helped me the most in my prayer and devotional life was understanding why. See, we often, here's the next villain, we often do the right thing, but for the wrong reason. We sit down to pray, and that's the right thing, but are we doing it for the wrong reason? Think about the question. And I'll ask you the reason. Just throw that this is where it'll be a little Bible study. What is the purpose and the goal for our devotional life? What's the purpose and the goal of our prayer life? Throw, throw some reasons at me. What's the purpose and goal? Why do we do, why do I want you to do this? Why does God want us to do this? Why? Throw some things at me. To learn the word. To give thanks. To stay close. Ask for guidance. There is a lot of reasons here. And, and all of the, actually all the reasons that you gave are, are pretty good reasons. But one of the things that I've noticed, at least personally, is that sometimes we get the reason wrong. And if you, if you turn the page, here's the next reason. Here's the next fill-in. If we get the reason wrong, we end up, we will do the right thing, R-I-T-E, for the rote Reason. In other words, we end up just kind of going through the motions. We, how many of you, you can raise your hand on that. I don't think it'll embarrass you too much, but you don't have to. How many of you have ever prayed the Lord's Prayer and gotten to the end of it and then said, huh, did I just pray the Lord's Prayer? How many of you have ever, ever sat down to read the Bible and then got through that chapter and, and wondered what you just read? 
And not because, <laughs> the truth comes out, and not because you had spiritual ADD, but just because, because you just got distracted. I've done that many times. Sometimes my devotions take me twice as long because I have to read the same chapter four times just to actually grasp and think about what God is saying there. Right? We, we have a little bit of spiritual ADD, and, and why do we do what we do? Luther, in this, he wrote this little letter, but notice what he says to his dear friend. In this little letter to his friend, this is printed on your sheet, in this, in this little book about prayer to his friend, he, he actually provides prayers. And look what he says about it. You should also know that I do not want you to recite all these words in your prayer. That, that would make it nothing but idle chatter and prattle, read word for word out of books, as, it, as were the rosaries by the laity and the prayers of the priests and monks. Rather, do I want your heart to be stirred and guided concerning the thoughts which ought to be comprehended in the prayer. In other words, Luther's saying, I don't want you just to do this as a right. I don't want it to become a matter of rote, just doing what you're doing. Jesus said this too, didn't he? These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. What was the problem? They were going through the motions. They were sitting down and opening up their Bible and maybe reading it out loud, but their hearts weren't there. And they were sitting down to pray and he even said in some places, Jesus said, they're, they're babbling like pagans. They're standing on the street corners just talking and praying. But it's just chatter because their hearts aren't there. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. How many of you have taken piano lessons in your life? Good memory or bad? Thumbs up or thumbs down? <laughs> Not so, I see a little bit of this. <laughs> when I've talked to some people about piano lessons, they have this what I've often heard about piano lessons, and this is just a generalization, but haven't you ever heard the story about, about the kids who's sitting at the piano, the piano bench and the piano with the nun sitting over here with their dowel to wrap the knuckles if they played the wrong note? And what sort of expectations were set for the students before they came back for the lesson next week? How many times you had to go through that and how many repetitions, how many minutes... How many hours? And then the, how, how does the student eventually begin, begin to feel about the piano teacher when there's that expectation of do this this many times and then come back next week? <laughs> Are you happy now, Miss Smith? I didn't mean to use your name. Right? Do we, do we ever feel that way about God? On the one hand, going through things sometimes like rote and then looking at our devotions as though, are you happy? Did I, how many, what are the questions we ask about devotions? How long do I have to read? How much do I have to read? Do I have to get through the whole Bible in a year? How long do I have to pray? Now all of a sudden, what have we become? We become the piano student who looks at the piano teacher and says, how much is enough, dear? And then we do it and we, with a little bit of a, are you happy now? Right? Our why, our reason. <laughs> See, we sin against God's word and against prayer, against God himself. When, when we look at prayer as a duty or an obligation that, that we have to fulfill 
before God. We, we sin when we do our devotions, but we do it by rotes and by rites and not by heart. Not from our heart, with our hearts engaged and tuned in. I'm going to just give you some quiet time for a minute. I'll put some music on so it's not awkward quiet. But I want you just to ask yourself the question, how have I sinned against God's word? Because each of us at different times have sinned against God's word in different ways. And so maybe you don't want to write this down because you don't maybe want other people to see this. But just take a second and, and consider how you've sinned against God's word. gives us these, this confession of faith. Join me in this responsively. Go, to the, go back. I confess and acknowledge great sin and wicked ingratitude on my, heart, on my part because all my life I have made disgraceful use of the Sabbath and have therefore, thereby despised his precious and dear word in a wretched way. I have been too lazy, listless, and uninterested to listen to it, let alone to have desired it sincerely or to have been grateful for it. I have let my dear God proclaim his word to me in vain, have dismissed the noble treasure and have trampled it underfoot. He has tolerated this in his great and divine mercy and has not ceased in his fatherly divine love and faithfulness to keep on preaching to me and calling me to the salvation of my soul. For this I repent and ask for grace and forgiveness. <coughs> on April 30th, 1961, Leonid, Leonid Ragazov, his appendix burst. He was a doctor at Antarctica on a Soviet study mission. He was the doctor and the only other person there was a mechanic. And his appendix burst. And because he was the only doctor, he had to do surgery on himself. So the mechanic, I'm assuming, took the picture and what he had to do was position mirrors so that he could make a 12 centimeter incision across his belly, find his appendix, remove it, and then ended up sewing himself up with wires. He made it. He's okay. He survived. But this is probably one of those times in, in your life when, when we probably want to say, don't try this at home. I don't care how experienced a physician you are, please don't try appendix surgery at home. Without a, let the doctor do it, right? 
All right, so I'll tell you that story because as Christians, I think we're really, really good at doing the incision. We're really, really good at taking God's law, like, a sharp, like the sharp double-edged sword that it is, that, that pierces joints and marrow, the writer of the Hebrews says, judging the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. We're really good at slicing ourselves open. Why is it, then, why is it that we feel so guilty all the time? Because we're really good at flogging ourselves with the things that God says that we should be doing. And this, this thing about God's word regarding highly preaching in his word is one of those places. We're not very good, however, at applying the balm of Gilead. We're not very good, however, at sewing ourselves back up and binding up the broken heart and healing the wounded. So let me be your surgeon today and tell you this. God, our Heavenly Father, He has been merciful to us and has given His only Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Therefore, as a called servant of Christ, and by His authority, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <coughs> And it would be really great if we could do that every single day. That, that we could be together, and as your doctor, I could say to you, you know, they call sometimes Pastor Zale Zorger. Zale is the German word for soul. Zorger is caretaker. That I could be your caretaker every day. But because I can't, or because we don't often have the chance, I want to give you two truths about God, to gospel truth. That's why I want you to write this down, stick it in your Bible, and when the guilt of God's law hits you, I want you to look at these two truths and come back to them again and again because these truths don't just apply to our sins against the third commandment, preaching in his word, Sabbath day rest, but they apply to every sin that the law exposes in us. Look, look what Psalm Isaiah 40, 50 says. This is, again, printed on your sheet. The sovereign Lord, Isaiah says, has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I, I wish those could be my words. That I could say every morning when I wake up, I know the word that will sustain the weary. That every morning when I wake up, that God would be my instructor and teach me. That I would not be rebellious and turn away. But that's not me. I think Luther would feel the same way. Though, though he might have been a three-hour prayer and a model for devotional life, as far humanly speaking, he would say the same. And I would imagine that Isaiah would too. And, and these are the words that flow from Isaiah's pen. But understand, when Isaiah puts these words to parchment, these are not Isaiah's words. But 700 years before, these are the words of Christ, who could claim these words as his own. The sovereign Lord has given me, Jesus said, a well-instructed tongue to know the words that sustains the, the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious or I have not turned away. And that's why you see Jesus when he's 12 in the temple 
sitting at the feet of the teachers. His parents had left and they had gone back home, right? They thought he was with them. Jesus, don't misunderstand, Jesus was not rebellious to his parents. He was obedient to them. But he had stayed behind in God's house. And when his parents asked why, he said, did you not know that I had to be here and about my father's business? And Jesus is the one who, after a busy day at the office, where he was preaching all morning long, and then in the afternoon he had to take care of sick people, and then he again taught after sunset. Jesus was the one who escaped after everyone else went to bed to pray. It, it really is no wonder, is it, that, that God at Jesus' baptism would say to you, to hit, say about his son, this is my son, I love him, I am pleased with him. After all, Jesus had done and would continue to do from his baptism on everything that God commanded him to do. Perfectly. He crossed every T and dotted every I so that when Jesus got to the end of his life, he said, it is completed. Not just his work of dying and suffering for the sins of the world, but it has completed everything that God required in the law, I did. That's not surprising that God would say, this is my son, I love him, I am pleased with him. But what is surprising, dear friends, is that God would say this. Read it with me. It's printed on your sheet, but read it with me, if you will. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Do you see then that what Jesus did, he did not as your example. To be sure, Jesus is a great example from whom we can learn much. But when Jesus listened in the temple, when Jesus stayed up all night praying, he did that not to show you how, not to show you what to do, but to do what you should have done but didn't and to do it for you. So here's the first truth. Everything demanded of you has been handed to you as already accomplished in Jesus' life for you. If your piano teacher expected you to practice for two hours during the week and fill out all the worksheets, Jesus hands you the completed worksheets and the time chart already filled in. Jesus did everything that God required of, you, of us, even in regard to prayer and devotion, and you get credit for, uh, for it. So there is no more to-do list before God. The to-do list is to done. And so what God the Father says about his son Jesus, my son, I love him, I am pleased with him, God says about you, you are my child, I love you, I am pleased with you. You have not fallen short of my glory. You get credit for the glory that my son has. You get credit for the life that my son lived. But what about the sins that we've committed? Sins for which the psalm says we should be blown away for. They are like chaff that the, winds blow, the wind blows away. The wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. And Psalm 1 is talking about people who don't treasure God's word nor meditate on it day and night. 
And yet in spite of our rebelliousness, though we should be swept away in the judgment, God says this, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. See, Jesus did not just live the life you should have lived so you could get credit for his life. Jesus died the death you deserved so that you would not die. Here's the second truth. Jesus suffered and died for every crimson and scarlet sin by which you have dishonored God's gifts of word and prayer. Every sin that you have committed, and today we're focusing on word and prayer, Every sin that you have committed, Jesus suffered and died for. There is no more punishment left for your sins. There is, no, there is no guilt. There is no shame. You have met God's standard because Jesus lived and died for you. So I've been talking to you and talking at you for a little while, hopefully encouraging you in your faith. I want you to talk to me a little bit. What, what is spiritual growth? What does it mean to be more mature? What's maturity as a Christian look like? If you were to describe a mature Christian, a good Christian, the adjectives we throw around, a strong Christian, what does that mean? What does that look like? Just throw some things at me. I know it's church time, so you're not used to Bible study time, but, but what... Throw some things at me. What does a mature Christian, a strong Christian, a good Christian look like? Grandma Connie. Who? Grandma Connie. Explain. She has always been so strong in her faith, and you see it in her every single day. It, it's just happiness no matter what, and it's peaceful. So when you're around her, you just pick up her spiritual growth, and it helps you. So joy and peace. Yes. No matter what the circumstance. Okay, what else? Explain faithfulness. Explain that. Okay. What is what does it mean to be faithful? I know you hate my questions. A commitment to learning more of the word. Okay. A Christian is confident. Okay, so, the, so my way of life. We'll take a couple more. I want you to think. Okay, servant attitude. Service actions, even. I would imagine that when we think about maturity, there are a couple of things that come to mind. We think... We probably, in our minds, equate somehow information with maturity. So the more we know, the more Bible passages spit off of our mouth that we have in our, in our heads. How many of you think I'm mature just because I can give you a lot of Bible verses? Don't raise your hands. Because <laughs> I'm very immature. But right, we think to ourselves somehow that if I have more information, I'm somehow more mature. Or maybe transformation. The drug addict quits their addiction. The adulterer quits their adultery. The thief quits their thieving, right? More maturity means transformation in way of life. 
Or maybe it's longevity, right? The longer I've been at this, the more mature I am. That's an assumption we make anyway. Or maybe it's Christian habits. Christians who have a lot of these Christian habits in place, like prayer and devotion and service and all these things, that means maturity. One of the things that I want to show you in this section is that real spiritual growth requires a daily going backwards. And that's not intuitive because what do we normally think? Spiritual growth means moving forward, right? Moving forward in knowledge. Moving forward in transformation. Changing my life to meet and match the way God wants me to have. Having more of the fruits of the Spirit. If I... If I'm transforming and having more love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control, then I'm more mature. But I want you to notice something about the way that the scriptures talk about growth. To be sure, God in his word does tell Christians to hide his word in your heart so that I don't sin against you. That's important, right? God does tell us to quit our sins. Don't live in the way of life that you once lived, right? Quit it. But I want you to see something. When God's pastors in the Bible pray for God's people publicly in the Bible, notice the things that they pray about. I didn't print these, but I did give you the references. Look at what Paul prays. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And when Paul says no, he's not talking about knowledge per se, like that we would just know the information, but that we would know and be filled with hope, this, this longing for what God has in store for us. That we would know his riches and, and have joy because of those riches. That we would know his power and be at peace because our God is powerful. Look what Paul prays later on in Ephesians 3. Notice what he's praying for. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Or take Peter, right? What does he pray? Grow, or what does he encourage? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, as Christians, we sometimes think that maturity and growth as a Christian means we, we move on from the simple, basic, Jesus love me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And we think to ourselves that we got to move on and be transformed, get more information. But what are the... What are the apostles and the pastors of those people praying for? That they would go backwards and know more than, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's not all we want to know. We want to know how much and how wide and how deep and how wide and long God's love for us is. I, I share this quote with a little bit of trepidation. It's, it's written by a pastor who has now been disgraced. He's fallen into some big sins. Committed adultery and all those kinds of things. Um, but he wrote a book that I think, 
I share it with you because, well, two reasons. One, just because you're doing it and you have it here doesn't mean that you don't still sin. But he grasps this. At least he did on paper. I pray that he grasps it in his heart too now. But he's, he's an evangelical pastor, so not Lutheran. But he sounds very Lutheran in what he says. He says, I used to think that growing up as a Christian meant that I had to go out and get more joy and more peace and more happiness and more patience. They had to somehow go out and get those things. And then he finishes that section by saying, Christian other, growth, in other words, doesn't happen by first behaving better, but by believing better. Believing in bigger, deeper, brighter ways what God has already secured for sinners. So it's again, Christian growth doesn't mean by going forward, but by going backward to the finished, completed, saving work of Jesus. And so now we start to talk a little bit about how Christian growth is a constant cycle of repentance and forgiveness. It's this constant process of going backwards Confessing our sin, admitting our need, and then finding in Jesus forgiveness and solace and hope and peace. When I talk to you about how to do devotions later on, my goal for you is not that you would be able to check this off your list and do it right, but that you would come to this place of constant repentance and forgiveness. Every day opening up God's word and finding again how you failed God but how God has not failed you. So Christian devotional life is not one of showing my devotion to God and giving him something. My my devotional life is not me trying to show God I love him. It's not me trying to show God something or like my piano teacher trying to show that I did my work. It's not me trying to show God something. It's it's the Christian devotional life is which I get to see on a daily basis, even hourly basis, God's devotion to me. That every time you open up God's word, that you would see that as much as you sin against God, as much as you run away from God, God is eternally devoted to you, to save you, to keep you. My parents' prayer for us, when my parents were here this last week in their prayer for us, that God would do whatever it takes to save us. And that's God's devotion to you, because he will. He will do whatever it takes to save you. Even going to the cross for you. So reframe your devotional life. Remember those truths. I'm going to keep repeating these because they're so important. Jesus already did all that needed to be done and you get credit for it. All your sins have been forgiven. Now Now add this. When you pray and when you study, it's not to show God something, but it's so God can show you something. So that through repentance and forgiveness, you can confess and be healed every day. And and so now we get to that part where you've probably thought I was going to go all the way along. You probably thought I was going to spend an hour talking to you about exactly what you should do and how you should do it. 
But I'll tell you, if I did that to you, you would go home feeling terrible. Because you would, this is the way I always felt going through, my, my dad didn't do this on purpose, but it happened. And my schools didn't do this on purpose, but it happened. They gave me lists, and they said, here's how you read the Bible in a year. I want you to do this, and you have to do, do these prayers, and, and do, do it this way, and all these things. And you feel terrible, because that's a lot. And your why is wrong, your reason is wrong. Again, if the reason's wrong, you might do the right thing, but it will be for the wrong reason, and then you're guilty and shamed. And so that's why we had to spend this time so far today just reframing devotions. Re remembering again that we stand as justified, holy children of God, lacking nothing in front of God, forgiven for every sin. That, that God, we do devotions not to do something for God, but for God to do something to us. So, so this last part is going to be super short. I promise. I'll do my best anyway. Because I want to just give you a template, and I want you to make it better. Remember how Luther started? I'm giving this to you so that you can do better than I do. I'm going to give you something, but I want you to do better than me, better than Luther. So this is Luther's way. I'm just passing it on to you. It works well for me. It maybe won't for you, but here's what he did. He said to Peter the barber, and you can Google this, this, this letter he wrote, A Simple Way to Pray. If you want a copy of it, I, I put it into a document and I can email it to you. He said, this is how I want you to, hear, this is how you do it. You read the scriptures, and actually Luther said, just the catechism. Study the, the catechism. Take, take, the Lord's, take each petition of the Lord's prayer. Our Father in heaven. Just stop and go as long as you can, and then go on to hallowed be thy name. And then spend time meditating on it. So his, his method was, whether you read the scriptures or you just take a piece of the catechism at a time, pick a verse. So, so that's why, here's, here's part one. He's, read a section of scripture and ask the question, what instruction is there for me? So if you follow my daily prayers, this is, this is what I do. I read my scriptures and I pick a verse. So the verse for yesterday was, at least that I posted, was Psalm 118, 17. I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. So pick a verse. Ask the question, what is God teaching me here? And so when you look at Psalm 118, God is teaching things like, I have confidence because I will not die but will live. And then you think a little bit further, what is God teaching me here? He's teaching me about Jesus who will not be overcome by death. And so we can live because of the victory of God. We can live with great confidence. This is not a ho-hum. This is, I will not die, but live. And we'll proclaim what the Lord has done. So first you ask the question, what instruction is there for me? And then what cause for thanksgiving is there? So in other words, what am I thankful for? I'm thankful that Jesus has conquered death. I'm thankful that he won the victory over death and the grave. I'm thankful that he gives me the victory over sin, death, and the devil. I'm thankful that there's nothing in heaven or hell that can separate me from him. Right? You, so you see how this can just go, right? You ask yourself the question, what am I thankful for? And you just, you take that one verse and you just go, right? And, and then what am I, what confession is evoked? What am I sorry about? God, I'm sorry that I sometimes live like a loser. Right? How often do we live our, as you think about Psalm 118, how often do we live our lives saying, oh, ho-hum, 
My life is terrible. Nothing's going right. Oh, right? I will not die, but live. I'm sorry, God. I've lived with timidity and sadness and discouragement, even though you've been so good to me. What am I sorry about? And then what prayer petition is appropriate? What am I going to pray about? Well, when I pray, then I'm asking, I'm confessing, and I'm thanking, and I'm asking God in the words of Psalm 51, create a new heart in me, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. I know that's not Psalm 118, but when I, when I realize that my heart is off, I'm asking God to make it new again, and to give me the joy, restore to me the joy of my salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And I'm praying for you then, Right? As I pray for other people in my life, I'm praying for you and I'm praying for my kids and I'm praying for my parents and I'm praying for my wife. God, give them this same joy and confidence. So you see, these four questions then lead us to prayer. See, for Luther, and you read this article that he wrote, Luther never separated devotion and prayer. You start with a verse, a truth from Scripture, and it leads you to prayer. You can ask these questions and these become prayers. God, I thank you that you're teaching me about your victory. I thank you that you saved me. I'm sorry that I'm not more thankful. Please help me. See how that leads to a prayer? If you want another template, here's another template for pray. P-R-A-Y. If you ever notice my prayers with you, they're often like this because it just gives me a framework. God prays. God, you are so gracious. What a cool thing that I get to call you Father. And you are the Father who is the maker of heaven and earth. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So you start with praise. Then repent. Notice the connection to the, to the questions Luther wrote. Thanksgiving, then repentance. God, I'm sorry that you fill in the blank in your prayers. Then petitions ask. I ask that you would help me. I ask that you would help others. I ask that you would do this. I ask petitions. And then, and then yield. Finally saying, God, your will be done. I'm calling on you because you're my father and you really do know what's best for me. So I'm asking you these things. But finally, God, your will be done. I trust you. I, I commit this to you. And it's okay, right? So this is a, these are templates. You can use them. You don't have to. I, I, I regularly change my template. So it's okay. Right? Again, we're not trying to show God something. God wants to show us something. So I want you to take some time. Wade Cordero said, I'm going to skip this. I want you to take some time. I'm going to give you a couple minutes. And I want you to take some time to plan I, I've, I, I've been doing some confession, looking back at the last year and some things that I wish I had done but didn't, um, with my kids, with my wife, with you. And I realized that part of my problem was, besides that I'm sinful, is that I didn't have a plan. Um, this is not meant to bind you, but rather to just give you direction. If, we, if you leave, my, see here's my, my, my thing. If you leave here today, you're like all fired up for devotion, but then you get home, you're like, well, what should I do? Okay, so I want you to, if you're, if you're not ready to write something down now, that's okay. But I want to encourage you to write something down. This is what I want to do. 
to be with God. So here's a couple options. They're in, your, they're in the handout. Meditations. We're out. We might not need to get some more. But meditations are those daily devotions that our synod publishes. There's 365 days a year. There's a verse. There's a devotion. And then there's readings. That's great. Let that be your template. Let that be your guide. Um, another option is join me. I'm, I'm moving the location of this, but, but join me every, every day. You saw it before. Um, uh, go all the way back. Probably going to mess things up. Every, every day, I, and I try. I used to feel really bad if I missed a day. Now I don't feel bad because I'm forgiven and it's okay. I feel bad because you didn't get your devotion that you were hoping for. But every day I try to post a, devo- a, a verse and a prayer. I used to write a devotion, but then that just got to be too much. And then somebody said, by the way, your prayers are actually better than the devotion. So kick that to the curb and here we go. Right? So on our website, you can go to my242church.com backslash daily dash prayer. You can subscribe there. I'm working to get that set up so you can just subscribe and get it. If you're following on WordPress, I'm, I'm going to try to connect the two so you can still get that email. Um, but I'm still working on that. Or you don't have to follow me. Do, some, do something. Join somebody else. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, they have hundreds of plans. I don't recommend them all, but I especially like the ones where they say, here's what you can read today. And my plan is I read six days a week, and then I come to church. So take a day off. Not really. Come to church. On six days a week, you make your own meal. Then one day a week, I make a meal for you. So take just a second, and I'll give you a little bit of time. Madeline, go ahead and forward it all the way. Just take a second. by now you have a plan and a thought process for how you want to move forward I want to say these two things two pieces of pieces of advice one one remember your status and your standing don't forget who you are and why you are a child of God you are a child of God whom Jesus has made holy by his blood you stand righteous and perfect before God having done through the work of Jesus everything God required you so remember your status and your standing and two Two, remember, each day is new. If you, if you miss a day, that's okay. Nowhere does God say you have to read every day. He says, love my word, love it every day, cherish it, listen to it, 
Regard highly preaching in his word. That's good. Start each day new. God's mercies are new every morning, so you miss a day, start the next day. God bless your time in his word. He wants to richly show you again and again and again how devoted he truly is to you.